Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, uh, here today to discuss the defense from that Week 12 win on Sunday Night Football against the Browns. A happy day to talk about it, and joining us, a, a great guest, Gordon McGinnis from PFF. Gordon, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Gordon. Uh, great win for the Ravens, very difficult circumstances coming into this game, I thought, with the very long injury report and, you know, looking ahead to this game and the Browns having a bye and then playing again. It did not look particularly good. No, it, it felt like a game that I, I, I very much expected them to lose. Uh, it just felt like, 
you know, and, and even you look at the offensive side of the ball, Lamar coming off being ill, it just didn't feel like the type of get right game uh, that the Ravens uh, needed. And ultimately, I don't think it particularly was. It was just one whereby the Browns were further behind in their, you know, get right um, at that point. But ultimately, you know, you only play 17 games. So you would rather win a game that, you know, you don't necessarily feel great about parts of at the end of it than, you know, lose those games. So there you go. So uh, it's kind of a familiar formula. This is amazing similarity from week to week, but the Ravens won the snap count 77 to 57 and had 3.9 yards per play. Those are incongruent. Like, I don't expect to see those things at the same time. If you have 3.9 yards per play, I expect you to get beat 77 to 57. But last week against the Bears, they had 3.9 yards per play and won the snap count 76 to 57. So incredible i've never seen anything i don't think that like statistically this this both incongruent but week to week consistent yeah and i think it's really interesting as well that they're not we're obviously going to talk about the the defensive side of the ball but the offense is not the dominant running game that Mm -hmm. we saw in 2019 that we saw in parts of 2020 but there is a little bit of an element that i've i'm sure you've noticed this as well the last couple of weeks late in games and it's mm-hmm. getting later in the season. They're having a little bit more success running the ball. They're able to extend drives and make life pretty difficult for their opponents. And it's starting to look a little bit more, if not quite as dynamic, that same kind of wear you down type of football team. Right. I, I, I would love for that really to be the case. Uh, and, and, you know, they've obviously gotten a few more first downs late in games. I think that's normal for a team that's that's running, a, you know, uh, that's, that's I'm marrying the result and the and the and the cause. I don't want to do that. But but I'll, I'll just say that uh, I think uh, the rush yards below expectation are so bad right now for Latavius Murray, for Freeman as well. Uh, it's really hard for me to paint a good picture about this because I really think opponents are just basically saying, I dare you to run the football uh, against Lamar. And that's making it very difficult for him with, with the overload pressures that Miami showed with, with all of the uh, dropping to cover with the spying him. I mean, just it's, it's nobody thinks the running backs are going to hurt them. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're, they're probably right to you know the, that, that's what happens when you lose your your top three running backs um yeah. you know you're in a position whereby teams aren't going to be as scared and that's where you know the ravens pretty much are going to continue to get what the offensive line can give them or what you know the the threat of lamar can give them right Let's go. Let's move on to, to the to the biggest story I think of this game, which is how the Ravens stopped the Cleveland run game. Uh, Cleveland came into this game obviously with a host of positive portent factors. I would say uh, coming in. I just want to kind of go through these a little bit quickly. But you know, the, Calais Campbell and Wolf are obviously out. Wolf's gone for the season. Campbell gone. We hope only for this game with a concussion. But you never know with concussions because they can they can continue. Their fifth active defensive lineman was a journeyman nose tackle, Isaiah Mack. You know, he's played, what, 300 snaps in his NFL career. And I think I got that from PFF, so it's, that's an approximate number. Uh, they had three nose tackles active for the game and two other three techs, which, by the way, reminds me a lot of that 2019 defense where they went very nose tackle heavy and were successful with it. Yeah, and the, I think the thing that surprised me the most with this is how much uh, depth they're lacking on the defensive line. Especially, you know, as you can get kind of worn down as game goes on, that allows you to get more into the second level against linebackers. 
and ultimately that's where the Ravens have struggled a little bit this year in terms of maybe not even a little bit is you know being able to finish those plays and there were only really a couple of plays where the Browns running backs kind of got into the second level and were able to cause some problems. Yeah, I mean, they had a long run of nine yards, so they really didn't cause much of any any problems. They did have Chubb had a had a little. I think it was Chubb had the sixteen yard pass that where Queen missed a tackle at at three yards, but otherwise they, they. I think the linebackers did a really good job. I thought, you know, Queen's been playing very well since he moved to the will. A slight step back with missed tackles, but let's leave that for a little bit later. I, it, the, the Browns personnel in this game, the packages they use just continually surprised me. The Browns are almost exclusively a 12 and 13 personnel team now. And, you know, they just, they don't put 11 on the field very often at all. The Ravens only had four snaps of nickel in this game. They had some snaps of dime. I don't know how many of those were actually against 11, but most of their first and second down, they were, they were in 12 and 13. Yeah. And the Browns don't really shake things up and don't really give you much in the way of exotic looks like you know teams like the Ravens and other teams do with changing things up to cause some confusion and ultimately I think that was probably a mistake given where the Ravens have struggled a little bit you know you we'll we'll talk more about Patrick Queen later on but where he's at his best is when he can just go downhill. And if you if you leave him in a position where he can go downhill, he can cause you some problems. You want him where he's having to react and where they had a little bit of success uh, was when he had to react in coverage. But it was an offense that didn't ask the Ravens to do anything dynamic. Uh, and ultimately, based on the Ravens we've seen this year, not even just their struggles, but also the, the injury problems. When you have a team that's so depleted, I think you have to try and put them under a lot of mental stress as well. And those things can add up. And the Browns just didn't do that. Well, they, they held them. The, the big thing for the Ravens, obviously, was holding them to 57 snaps really matter, mattered for purposes of total defensive line snaps taken. The Ravens were actually forced to play 2.37 defensive line snaps per play, which is, is extraordinarily high in the NFL for these days, with, with nickel being the most common formation. A lot of Ravens, nickel and dime formations having one defensive lineman, sometimes even zero. Uh, you, know, you, you, you don't ever see 2.37 for a game anymore. You know, 1.9 is probably about average. So you, actually, you have an extra half snap a game you're using for defensive linemen. Right there, you got to figure out where you're going to get almost another 30 snaps from. And, and that's hard to do when you only have five guys, and one of them is Isaiah Mack, and he's only out there for six plays. So, you know, they're really, over, they're really stressing, as you said, the, the remainder of the crew. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, the impact of the Derek Wolf injury, obviously, for missing the whole season. And then when you see, I mean, for at PFF, Calais Campbell's our highest graded defender for the Ravens on the year. Yeah. So, you know, into a game where they needed strength in the defensive line to be without him. And like you said, it stretches everyone else as well because it forces you further down the depth chart. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any difference between PFF and how I would analyze the thing in terms of Campbell being the Ravens' best defender, despite the lack of a sack. Tyus Bowser is the really only competing guy, but despite the lack of a sack, Campbell is always has just about the most individual notes when we do the game. It's just, you know, play after play. He's done something special and different or penetrated or gotten pressure, or knocked down a pass or fallen on a fumble or, you know, it's just it's, it's a tremendous number of plays involved. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, he, it felt like he was going to be that type of player when the Ravens traded for him, uh, and you know, him having that impact late in his career uh, has been a nice highlight to watch. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's good to get a two year contract out of a two year contract, you know, from a player like that who's a, who's a, a very good one. So aside from all the other Ravens deficiencies, they then have to face this offensive line, which is just getting healthy. So Conklin and Wills are back at tackle. The three interior guys are the best in football. And, you know, you you you're, you have Chubb and Hunt are both back as well. I mean, it looked like a disaster waiting to happen in terms of the run game. And yet the Ravens got it done. They they defended run first in this game and they kept Baker from eating alive with play action at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, you said it there that the off the offensive interior guys have dominated for the Browns this year. Mm-hmm. Uh but the Ravens didn't allow themselves to be added to the Wyatt Taylor highlight reel of blocking guys, you know, significantly downfield. Um, and then I think they knew going in if they could pressure Baker, they could, you know, force him into mistakes. Now he didn't throw, you know, there was the dropped interception by Clark, but they did force him into mistakes in terms of holding on the ball too long and trying to do a little bit too much, and that cost the Browns uh, a couple of drives as well. So I think they knew, given his injuries just now that they could put pressure on him and they could make it difficult but even when they didn't get pressure Baker still struggled like I think be it injury or other reasons he's just not in a good place right now yeah I want to talk about that more later when we talk about the pass rush I want to stick with Chubb for just a second here because I think his running was a microcosm of the Browns generalized failure but I mean he's the best he's one of the best backs in football he might be the best back in football of the guys who are currently healthy if you take Derrick Henry off the off the list. So he said, uh, Taylor, I guess we, we got to be honest about this, but Chubb is close. Anyway, he, he had eight runs in this game. Every single run he had was 12 or 13 personnel, four 13s, four 12s. So they ran up to run like the quarterbacks run Q, like the Ravens run QB power. Basically, with, there's not even a hint of a suggestion of something else being done. Uh, they, they, they did sometimes pass out of that, but uh, it, they didn't have one way that they beat it. The Ravens were just very effective in a multitude of ways at beating what the what the Browns threw at them in terms of the Chubb runs out of 12 and 13. Yeah, and I saw someone tweet, I don't know who it is, so apologies for not giving them credit. Someone tweeted that, some of Chubb's worst games, I think three out of his worst four games have actually come against the Ravens now in terms mm. of either overall production or yards per carry or something like that. The, the thing I noticed when I looked at the PFF grades this morning was that I always remember this quote from Bill Belichick that he would rather have a player who's like a 7 out of 10 consistently than a guy who's a 9-1 play in it three the next I think is normally banded about for like Jamie Collins and a guy who can make splash plays but will make some mistakes here and there when I looked at the grades this morning there was nine players on the Ravens defense who played 10 or more snaps and had a PFF grade of 60 or above so 60 is like a fairly you know average kind of level to be at but it also says that you're not making a ton of mistakes if you're sitting around about there mm-hmm. and if you have consistently on defense a bunch of guys not making mistakes especially when it comes to you know playing against the run I think that's where you can have some sustained success over the course of the game I think the Ravens this year have struggled a little bit a lot of times with weak link stuff so Mm -hmm. one guy has failed on defense and that's allowed the big play in the passing game or the running game you know a missed tackle here and there they just didn't make a lot of mistakes. There were, you know, a handful of mistakes throughout the game on defense. Nowhere near what we've seen in previous weeks. Right. Absolutely. Blown coverages in particular, but it missed tackles. This was a light game for the Ravens. You know, they, they didn't have much. And, you know, they've had some missed tackle games probably up around 10, 11 at some points this season. And, and you know, this was 
lower than that, maybe maybe four or five in this one. So uh, really good game for them. I, I thought it was just it, they did everything well until they set the edges well. They pursued well along the line of scrimmage. They that cut off some cutback lanes. They got seemingly good penetration from one player every time. You talk about the weak link. I, I, how about the strong link? Is that they're you know they're getting somebody in the backfield who forces that play to, the, the the play space to be narrowed um, in, in some way. I, I just thought so many things went right here. But more more than almost anything, I like their physicality. Period. And Queen showed it as much as anyone he blew up betonio pulling on one play you know coming in and, and hammering him. we've never seen that from patrick queen or i cannot recall seeing that from patrick queen in his two years here yet uh, of him standing up a pulling player first of all it's very hard to do betonio outweighs him by 100 pounds and you know it's not it's not the kind of thing you often would see happen by any inside linebacker but uh but for queen it's a, it's a special addition to his game yeah and you touched on it earlier he's played significantly better since they adjusted his role and he and he changed position and um his responsibilities now are more about being able to see what's in front of him and yeah. go and it, i think it just takes advantage of where his physical skill set is now coming into the nfl i think everyone hoped and i'm sure the ravens hoped uh, you know a three down linebacker who could do all the things in coverage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's still young, though. That's the thing that people need to remember. Playing linebacker in today's NFL is very, very difficult. And it's very difficult to do all those coverage things and reading opposing offenses. So the things he's improving at just now are a pretty good sign that there's no reason to be you know, concerned that you need to give up on him yet at any point or anything like that. This change in role has allowed him to maybe allows the development to slow a little bit and hopefully get him up to speed. Uh, but when you see the good plays where he can fly to the ball, you know the the physical talents are pretty clear to see. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's a uh, well we're on Queen. Let's just hit on this here. Uh, it, it's going to be a difficult call for the Ravens to make, but there there he's he's clearly turning the corner at the will position. If all he is ever is a two down will. I think he can make a career, but it's not necessarily in Baltimore. It's yeah. the problem that that you know he'll they won't be able to sign him to the fifth year deal if if that's all he is. So so he'll have to he'll have to be extended under other circumstances. And it could be that enough teams will be scared off by a combination of you know what they've seen on film the last couple of days, maybe PFF grades being one of the things you know that they've that they've hit you on. Know, the missed tackles have certainly been pretty prevalent. And and uh, you know maybe he can come back to the Ravens and be a good uh, a good platoon. Will I, I I really he's got so far to go in coverage in terms of understanding anything about what's going on behind him about reading routes off the line of scrimmage and understanding that it's it's I I, I wouldn't even want to project a path to development on that. Yeah, it's you know you're you're kind of hoping that effectively stuff clicks that hasn't yet. Um, but you're right. Like for for on the rookie contract, if all if all they get is this level of play from Patrick Queen, he will be a plus part of the defense. It's just not quite what you would like to get from a first round pick. Yes. <laughs> but you could also do a lot worse with a first round pick. You could completely bust in the guy who you know you can't put on the field. So you know his. I, I think he's pretty close to being one of the top ten highest graded linebackers since week six I think it is since they made the change to to his role so it's a fit for the Ravens defense right now and I think you know in terms of this season that's more important than worrying too much about how his development goes especially for a defense that and a team that has had so many injuries um 
you know, it at least gives them something to work with. Right. Uh, love, uh, loved every part of that. So uh, great that they could stop the, the 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 Browns run game in this, but that really was 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 central to getting them into a lot of these third and medium to longs. Now a lot of people say that, and it's obviously true. But when you when you're allowing just over two yards of carry uh, on the run, that's going to help you bring up a lot of third and medium to longs. And and the the Ravens really shut down the Browns in those situations. They did complete four out of thirteen, convert four out of thirteen third downs. But the dime defense in particular we're going to get to was just unbelievably good in this game. Yeah, and I think the I, – I, on the commentary, I think they touched on the fact that the Browns receivers were stuck, struggling to separate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's possibly a little bit on the struggles that they have, especially you know with the personnel they have there. Jarvis Landry is not really uh, a yeah. strong separator. Uh but also, I thought it was just a it was a really good coverage game for the Ravens. Yeah. They were very sticky, um, and there was a couple of you know pass interference calls that I think were relatively close. Um, and on other days, you see them not flagged. Uh, I can understand why they were given, but I think it, the Ravens just in general played sticky coverage pretty well throughout the whole game. Yeah, I, I was outstanding. And then the next topic I wanted to talk about was how Baker didn't really get it done with ATS and that it's all coverage based. I mean, all, all of that was coverage based, but then he held the ball too long in the pocket and he took he took two sacks where he had over a three second pocket. And that, that that's really bad to, to, to do that. And then, of course, the third sack was just he, he was under pressure and he just lost the football. It's just one of these comical Keystone Cops plays. Yeah, yeah, and that that whole um, section of play in the game, both teams just felt like they just couldn't keep hold of the ball. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about: that Baker had six point six yards per play when he had ample time and space. So when he had a three second pocket, he had one hundred and thirty one yards on on twenty passes. But that doesn't really tell the whole story. We've had a few of these barbell results in recent weeks where. It's a, it's a combination of really lousy plays and a few good plays. And in this, this case, it was really that. So they had, just for, for example, this game, they had 10 incompletes among 20 ample time space opportunities. That's ridiculous. Two sacks in addition. So there were only eight plays where he completed a pass. And those went for 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I consider those kind of the ties with ample time space. You should, you should pick the other team apart for 9, 10 yards a pass when you, when you get a three-second pocket. And then they had three good ones where they where they hit for 20, 36, and 38 yards. So that was a, a substantial portion of the yards uh, of the 131 totals just on those three plays. Now, why is this important? Why am I bringing this up at all? The reason I do this is because if, if you could get 6.6 yards per play, your favorite team would be perfectly happy with that. If they could get exactly 6.6 yards per play, you'd move right down the field. And you can obviously anyone can see mathematically that's going to work out to a first down every two plays and you're going to score every drive. What that also should tell you, and I don't think as many people pick up on, is that variation in offensive result accrues to defensive value. So it's 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 one thing I don't think people get. So you got to look at the plays that are really helping the defense, the penalties, the sacks, the turnovers and the incomplete passes in groups usually, or certainly at important high leverage downs, are, are the ones that help the defense get off the field. And the more of those that you can put in a group of 20 plays where they have ample time and space or, or a group of, of any past plays, uh, the happier you are. Yeah. I, and I think the combination of the, the first thing we spoke about, the running game, mm-hmm. not allowing them to get into manageable situations. And then the combination of when 
you know, Baker had time and all that stuff, they weren't able to consistently get anything. Uh, and the you know the negative plays or the positive plays for the defense, you factor those things in together, and the Browns' offensive output makes an awful lot of sense. Yep. Yep. There you go. Um, all right. I I do want to talk briefly about the defensive packages the Ravens played in this one. So very odd game for the Ravens because they had almost no variation in defensive package. They played base for thirty six snaps. And by the way, that's a really this is a really interesting breakdown. They they ran the ball fourteen times against the Ravens' base defense, got twenty four yards, one point eight yards per carry. But they also passed it twenty two times and got two hundred seventeen yards, so nine point nine yards per per pass. Got to change that in my article before I post it because I see I've got that as YPC too. All right, we're all making adjustments on the fly here. But anyway, 6.7 yards per, per, per play overall for base doesn't really tell the story. So I, I still would say they didn't really get eaten alive by play action, but they did have some success against the base defense. Yeah, and this is it's what the Browns want to do on offense, isn't it? They, they have the strength of the running game, and they know that play action works. You know, Kevin Stefanski knows play action works. Um, and it, it fits with where the Ravens, you know, should in theory have struggled. You you can put stress on those linebackers. Um, but again, the, the flip side of that is because the Browns offense doesn't mix things up much in the way personnel-wise, you kind of take away part of that deception that you can work with. You know, you things are a lot more segmented than if you can do play action when you've also got motion or you're also, you know, changing things formation-wise. You just give more opportunities for breakdowns. I think when you give a defense something that is okay, you're giving you know the change in play action, but you're not changing things up with formations. I think you give the defense a better chance to kind of stay relatively calm in those situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they know what to expect. They they probably are more familiar with their reads, uh, play over play, than they they should be. And it's not like they they didn't try some different things in terms of how they ran. Chubb with a little bit of zone, a little bit of power, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's just, you know, the Ravens are, are uh, you know, very focused in. If we see this front, we're going to line up this way and we're going to try and penetrate this way. And, and a lot of that might not change by exactly what type of run play they're running. Sorry, I kind of slightly cut off there. <laughs> okay, okay, no, no, no problem. Uh, this happens all the time on air, usually to me of, of the two of us. So anyway, they they had four snaps of standard nickel in the game. It really hardly put eleven personnel on the field. That's what you'd use the nickel against. Four plays for sixteen yards. They played one snap of jumbo nickel, and that was that weird um, long time sack by by Bowser. So he kind of got around the corner, forced Baker up in the pocket. Still looked like an ample time and space opportunity. And then Broderick Washington got in front of him. He put the pulled the ball down and and. Uh, uh, Bowser took him down from behind. Yeah, I, I, I think plays like that that I, I, plays like that really, I think, ultimately told the the story of the game as well as the fact that the Ravens were able to find little plays like that and you know force problems for the Browns. Yeah, is, do do you believe that on the on, do you, did the Ravens force a problem for the Browns that way or did the Browns, maybe they did with coverage in the secondary? Maybe that's the way we look at it. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a bit of both. In, in these things, there's always you know it's maybe not fifty fifty, but it can be sixty forty one way or the other. All right, 
All right. Uh, let's talk about the rush dime, because that was really one of the exciting stories that came out of this. So the Ravens play the rush dime. They put the same 11 guys on the field every single time they, they put it out there. So they put one defensive lineman. That would normally be Campbell. In this game, it's Matt Abike. They put three outside linebackers, always the same three guys, always uh, Bowser, Houston, and Owe. They put one inside linebacker on the field, always board, and they put the same six defensive backs they put out. There are only six defensive backs that played in this game, uh, which is Stone and Young, in addition to the basic four of, of Averett, Humphrey, uh, Clark, and Stevens. So same 11 guys on the field. They played 16 plays. They were all third and five plus, plus some additional plays at the end of the first half and the end of the game when the, when the Browns were time pressured. Uh, the way I describe this as this is the Ravens, we don't care how many def- how many tight ends you have on the field defense. So, so they're they're you know it, by by game situation and by down and distance they decided we're going to put the dime on and try and cover you with this group of of better coverage players. Yeah, and that that speaks to the Ravens as an organization being smart, also probably knowing that the Browns are the type of organization that aren't going to run in situations that are unfavorable to them. So they're you know you know that they're going to throw the ball even when it might you know look like they're they're not set up to do that in terms of personnel and all those things. So I, I also, I love anytime you can get Bowser, Houston and Oway on the field together. I think, yeah. uh, I think that's a, been a very underrated uh, storyline for the Ravens defense this year. Yeah, they've, they've, uh, they've been very good. Anyway, only 12 yards on those 16 plays. They converted just one of 16 plays for a first down. One of those, one of those dime plays. Uh, they had two of the sacks in there. Uh, one of the plays was for seven of the, of the 12 yards was the final play of the game where Bowser, which won the game for the Ravens on fourth down. So a whole bunch of really great things happened there. But like I said, almost no variation in defensive package there. Just 91% of the plays they were in base or dime. Yeah. And it, it just, that that's the way everything was set up in that game. And, you know, that's, you're not going to see that too often, but you might see something pretty similar in a couple of weeks time. Depends how much the Browns <laughs> want to react to this, because if I was the Browns, that'd be my, one of my biggest takeaways was they didn't do enough to mix things up against the Ravens. Is it, is it, I don't think there's any chance the Browns wouldn't react to it. Wouldn't you think it would, they, we'll see a, a very different game plan from them in two weeks? So the only thing I'd say about that is I'm not certain how much the Browns kind of understand Mayfield's limitations, be they current or longer term. So they might be in a mode whereby they're trying to be very simple and very basic on offense because they know injury-wise or otherwise, they're not going to get it done in the passing game too easily. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, there's there's very sharp division on whether among Cleveland fans, I think right now of whether or not Mayfield is really their long term answer. And this. and after expending a number one pick on the guy PFF said, by the way, that was the number one guy in that draft. Yep. Uh, it's really hard after all these years of being in the desert. They finally get a, you know, a little mini oasis here. And, you know, a guy who's played well in what, two of his four years. Right. Yep. And, and and you you know are, are might be willing to discard him. It just it seems uh, it seems incredible to me. I mean, we, I, I know how long the Ravens were without a quarterback, and it's nowhere near as long as the as the Browns were. Yeah, and the really tough thing as well with that is that you're weighing up that part, the part of you know how long you went without any kind mm-hmm. of, and even Baker at 
where he's been this season is still better than most of those quarterbacks that the Browns trotted out oh, yeah. those years. Um, so it's easy to say, you know, this is still better than we've had. Uh, you also know that with Kevin Stefanski, they have had a more than competent offense. You know, they've they looked pretty good in the playoffs last year. The thing that would really worry me if I was the Browns, and I think this is where, because the Browns have got quite a, a, a growing analytical fan base because of the way their mm-hmm. front office is made up, a lot of them are starting to become wise to the fact that maybe you can win with Baker, but in order to win with him, you need that top offensive line. You need mm-hmm. a running game, and you need Stefanski in that scheme you know, to be able to use play action and all those things. And at that point... Is that the guy that you can afford to pay forty right. million a year? Because that exactly. takes away from all those things. So it's it's a really interesting quandary for the Browns. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are really saying now that by paying the two guards, they've kind of tipped their hand that they're not going to pay Mayfield. So he'll be around on the fifth year contract at whatever that is, twenty five million or whatever it ends up being. I'm I'm honestly not sure what the exact amount is for a quarterback. I know it's pretty high, but. He, after that, you know, they they have an option. They, you know, they could they could go to the uh, if they had to, they could they could pay him on the franchise tag. And and uh, otherwise they can pay him probably every bit as much as Lamar Jackson makes if he signs this offseason, uh, you know, to, to basically be their guy going forward or they can let him walk. And if they do that, then they've got to face the, the prospects of the risk and the draft capital that goes with making that right. Uh, I, I'll, there are Browns fans I know who would really rather prefer to go out and get a free agent quarterback. They'd, they'd prefer to get Deshaun Watson if he could, becomes available. Uh, you know, they prefer several of the other guys who, who might be available. Yeah, I, I do think there's an interesting thing whereby there's a belief that numerous veteran quarterback is going to become available, like a Russell Wilson is another one, Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. all those things. And maybe one of those guys winds up coming free. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to kind of guess too much on that. Um, but they they are a team who, you know, if they could get a veteran quarterback like a Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers under a short-term contract with what they have, yeah, it can be a dangerous football team. So that's, yeah. you know, are, are they going to chase something short term? Do they try and rebuild, you know, for another five year run um, again? So it's going to be really fascinating to see. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of teams that have been successful in the AFC, this was true with the Brady and Manning years and even the Roethlisberger as well. I mean, those teams dominated the AFC. So it seems like, you know, you're, you're being very short sighted to go for a three year answer like Manning at quarterback for the Broncos three or four years, whatever it was. Um, it, it's, it seems like the guys who go for the eight to 12 year answer by really expanding the draft capital and then expanding to re up uh, are the teams that have been fortunate about it. You know, I, I don't think that, that um, obviously I don't think the, the Packers have any issue with what they paid Aaron Rodgers over the years in terms of that. Nobody who, who would, but, but even teams like Kyler Murray who are relatively early in the process with Arizona, they've got to be very happy with that in terms of, of where it's likely to go. And the fact that their quarterback problems are solved for many years, not just for the next three, say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there's the, the interesting thing with what they can do in Mayfield as well is where I, if I had to make a guess just now, I think you're right. I think it'll be fifth year option plus a franchise tag, maybe even two franchise tags. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a couple of years to try and, you know, almost like the Kirk Cousins route, which is interesting because I think Kirk Cousins might be Baker Mayfield's 
ceiling in the NFL. So obviously at PFF, we had way higher expectations of him coming into the league. But having seen him for four years, that level of, okay, maybe you're going to get a run of games here that's good, but am I going to consistently get a quarterback who elevates the players around me? Probably not. And it's you know trying to work out what the value of that is. So how did how did PFF have the quarterbacks ranked coming out of that draft? The the four guy the five guys from the first round. So Darnold, Rosen, Allen, and um, Mayfield and Jackson. I think it was definitely Mayfield number one, and then it was Darnold. I think Rosen was next, and then I mm-hmm. think it was Lamar, then Allen. I think okay. was the way it was. Um, the Josh Allen thing's interesting as well. You know, how good he's going to be long-term. We've seen his best, and then we've seen him dip a little bit this year. So that whole quarterback class, with the exception of uh, Rosen and Darnold, we've seen, you know, some peaks and troughs with them. So it's it's interesting to see how they're going to continue to develop because they're all still young as well. All right. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit about the Ravens' pass rush in this game because this was an interesting display from Martindale. And it was a game of extremes for, for the Ravens. They had really good success with any sort of deception they did. I'll get into that in a second. They also had really good success with extremes in terms of numbers. When they rushed three or they rushed six, they did well. When they rushed four or five, not so much. Uh, so going through this a little bit, uh, with three or fewer, three plays, zero yards. With four, four, they had 19 for 116, 6.1. So that's okay. And with five, 12 plays, 123 yards. That's distinctly not okay, 10.3 yards per play. And with six, six rushing, they had minus 17 yards, two sacks, and I believe four incompletes. Or it might have been one one pass for one yard or some such, but uh, but anyway, two sacks, one turnover, and 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 uh, incomplete passes. Uh, so you know, they 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 did a you know pretty typical Ravens number. I don't know if you keep this for the whole league, or we probably don't use the same definition in terms of who's rushing and not. But forty five percent of the time, I had them rushing five or more of the forty. By the way, what's PFF's number for that? Do you have that for this game? Uh, I don't have it to hand. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. Okay, no, no, no problem. I, I just, I'm always interested to know different uh, definitionally if we're if we're talking about less or more. And there's a lot of spy play by Bowser in this game where he was kind of just right off the line of scrimmage and not engaged with a tight end. So it's or or, or obviously looking for a running back. He was he was spying Mayfield, and I, I, I'm trying to know whether you guys would count that as a pass rush. So I think or, I've just had a quick look, and so I think we were. Yeah, I think around about 45% sounds right. I think we had blitzes on like 19 out of 40, I think. Okay. So that's probably maybe like one more or something like that. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Anything else interesting you want to say? Because I've got one of the, I want to talk about deception in just a second, but anything about numbers or anything that comes to the PFF numbers? I I like the fact that they had success blitzing like more heavier mm-hmm. like the, the higher end of the extreme because we you know we just spent a week talking about whether or not they should have rushed Andy Dalton at the end of the Bears game and you know all those things and people don't we're not now talking about or we are but you know Twitter is not ablaze with people talking about yes, whether or not true. whether or not the Ravens should have rushed you know six plus on those plays because it works and so often discussion points in the NFL are based around schemes and based around yeah (laughs) but what they're actually based off is more execution and you know that that is the difference in a lot of those cases 
So I, the stat that really got me is last year they, they rushed six plus eight times, at least as I, as I scored it. The first seven was two of seven for 10 yards between Dalton and Fields. I think Fields might have had two or three of them and, and Dalton had the rest. And, uh, and then you come up the last play and like, we, we should have never done that. We should, how would we have, why would, why would we even think to do that? Well, of course, you know, you, you, <laughs> it, it did go wrong at the wrong time. Kind of like a lot of bad plays do. And then it went very right in the fact, by the way, I don't know. You, have you guys been talking about PFF or on gambling sites at all about, about the failure of Goodwin to go down on that play. It's unbelievable, unmistakably bad coaching in a game of horrible coaching. He did not go down inside the five yard line. Yeah, I did see a couple of people talking about that that should have should have gone down towards the end of the game. Yeah. So it's, we had to, we had the same thing basically occur in the Tampa Bay game this week, and then there was a uh, that Fournette should have gone down inside the five, but uh, then the, the Colts had a big long kickoff return and actually got to heave it in the end zone. At least they would have had two shots at that. Um, but yeah, they, uh, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, okay, to talk a, bit, a little bit about deception. So there's three classes of deception that I that I count. The first is off-ball blitzes. And these are guys coming from no uh, inside of the slot receiver and at least a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage. And so they had seven of those um, spread among six plays. Very low for Martindale. Martindale's usually up in the teens. Um, has even been higher than that at times. Uh, but those six plays went for minus 18 yards, <laughs> including two sacks, four incompletes, and a fumble loss. Then they had two stunts they ran, both of those incomplete passes. Then they had three simulated pressures. That's very, very low. Like two, one, two, and two threes they ran. Kind of the same three both times, I think. Um, And those were all incomplete passes. So literally everything they did from a deception standpoint worked in this game. Yeah, and that's, again, it goes back a little bit to what we just talked about in the the end of the Bears game where everyone focuses on that. This is is what the the Wink Martindale defense can do to opposing offenses. You know, he knows how to put them in a bind, force them to make quick decisions, all those things, just make life more difficult for them. Um, and it's why I think he, he remains arguably the best defensive coordinator in football because he knows how to put his players into into positions to win. Yeah, I, I, I love that about him. I You know, one of the things I look at with Wink is variation of game plan by quarterback. And I think he does that about as well as anybody. He's, he'll, he'll, ratchet it up completely if he thinks he's got the quarterback on the hook he changes within the game very well i think we've seen uh i'm just i'm i'm very pro wink on on most respects there and and you know there's it, always people on twitter who are going to come out fire this guy fire that guy as soon as anything goes wrong but you know if you look at what's really happened he's been terrific yeah yeah i, go, I agree 100 percent all right. So in terms of the guys who, who did well, Adafi Owe had four and a half pressures in this one. Uh, he was he was the top as I counted it. So one he shared with other guys. I know you guys get full pressures on that. Houston I had for four pressures. Uh, you guys have him for that? Uh, I think that is either four or five for Houston, I think. Okay. Uh, three, sorry. It was three, so three. one off four. All right. Uh, I thought I had one where it was maybe a, maybe a, a, a step away, but I was giving him pressure because he was in the cone. And we have a, we also have a three and two and a half second uh, counting mechanism. So I should have more yeah. uh, on a normal situation. Okay. Then Tyus Bowser had a QH and a sack with ample time and space. Then he had a QH within three seconds. And then he had a third QH where he lost it to a roughing the passer flag. Uh, quite a day for Bowser in these last two weeks, actually about the last four weeks when he's been, when he's picked up most of his sacks, it really looked great. 
Yeah, I and I was thinking about this as I watched the game. So I watched it this morning because it kicked off at one thirty, and at thirty-five years old now, unless it's a playoff game, that's it's a stretch too far. And, <laughs> and the Ravens have played far too many primetime games in the first half of the season. So I watched this morning, and there's a lot of what Bowser does. He's not the exact same player, but it reminds me of Adelius Thomas' heyday with the Ravens. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, he's not an elite pass rusher, but he's a pretty good one. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes tackling and he can make some plays in coverage that are, you know, a lot better than a guy his size. A lot of people would expect to. So there's, I love just the well-rounded element of that. I was really excited when the Ravens re-signed him in the off season because they had the choice between, you know, him or paying Matt Judon a lot of money. And I think that was, I think it was the right choice. I, I think it was too. It's certainly in terms of value. I don't think there's many people who would disagree. There, there probably are some probably Patriots fans, but, but uh, I, I do like at, at further price. I love Bowser uh, as, you know, as the better choice. You mentioned the coverage ability and, and he, he loses a lot from his pass rush stats by dropping the coverage, maybe half the time. I mean, he's on my list every time as, as when it's usually a four, one pass rush and it's four, one is the way I note it is he's dropping into coverage. Uh, he's the best coverage outside linebacker in the game for my money. How do you guys at PFF rank that? Is he, is there anybody better? Uh, I don't know for the full NFL, but I know like coverage wise, uh, he's like just shy of 80 overall, which for like an edge or like, you know, outside guy is, uh, is going to be one of the highest. And that's not, that's not scaled to his position. So that eighty is not is not relative to a sixty outside linebacker would have less in the way of expectations. No, no, it's just it's based off of yeah, just the kind of standard way. Okay. And then you mentioned the Adelis Thomas comp. I, I think I think Odafe Owe is a great comp for Thomas. You know, with that speed and with the things he brings. But I, a little bit of Ravens history here. In two thousand five, the Ravens had a number of significant issues in the secondary. Adelis Thomas. Uh, was the guy who plugged that gap. He was able to effectively play strong safety for the Ravens and, you know, at his enormous size. And they played 265 snaps that year with only three defensive backs on the field. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember the season where he was just all over the place. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. All right, so let's talk individual players. Um, and you're the guest. Why don't you go first? Who do you, who do you want to talk about? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go back to the guy you were just talking about there in Odafe Owe because uh, it was his highest graded game uh, PFF wise since entering the NFL, uh, highest graded pass pass rush um, certainly I don't know if it was his highest graded full game. The one thing that can happen in a Wink Martindale defense is that edge rushers are gifted a lot of. Uh, easy routes to the quarterback um, in the sense that everything's schemed up nicely and it allows them a free rush. I thought this was always best game at the other things, winning on his own. Mm -hmm. I think he used his length, he used his speed really well in this game. Uh, And that's really encouraging to see because, so I I bet on a way to win defensive rookie of the year as soon as the Ravens drafted him. Uh, I'm not going to win because Micah Parsons is you know, almost definitely going to win that. But my logic was, you give me a, an edge defender who runs in the four threes and put him on Wink Martindale's defense, he's probably going to get eight to ten sacks. And, I, you know, he's he's kind of right on pace to be around about there this year. Um, so that part was the easy part there. 
the the question on him coming out of Penn State was can he be you know a consistent guy who can get to the quarterback uh, and get sacks when he you know has to go and beat offensive linemen and this was a game against you know a good offensive line in Cleveland where I think he really showed that there's an awful lot of potential there for him to develop. Yeah, yeah I, I I I I love what Oway has done. And I think we've seen him use his length very well. And that's, that's really one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm a real arm length Nazi when it comes to offensive tackles. But the reason is play, when you face players like Owe, you really, really need to have length. And we saw him abuse Liam Eichenberg, you know, with, with who has very short arms for a tackle. Um, and and Owe is at 34 and a half inches, which is longer than most offensive tackles in this league. There are, there are some that are up there 35 inches and change, but, but uh, he's a real special talent for that. I've also been impressed just with how he's learned to use his quickness in a way that he obviously wasn't doing at Penn State in that last year, is that he's, he's, he's got more of a pass rush plan now than I would have thought imaginable from a rookie player. He, you know, we've seen a Euro step from him. We've seen a little bit of spin move from him. We've, we've seen the ability for him to go inside out, outside in strength to power. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, it, it just, there's been a variety of things he's, he's been done, but one thing that's been consistent is he absolutely draws offensive players to him in terms of who they have to block. If he crosses the guard's face from the outside, all of a sudden he's triple teamed and that creates opportunities for others as well. So it's not just about him. Yeah. I think it's really encouraging how smart he is for a player who's so young at this point in time, all the, the physical attributes we knew, you know, with what he did uh, at Penn State, regardless of sack numbers, um, the athleticism was clear to see his workout numbers and everything just made it clear he was a different level of athlete. But the fact that he's able to show some of those smarts so early on in his career, uh, I think sets him up potentially to, to have a very successful NFL career. All right. All right. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Tyus Bowser. I know we have already. I, you know, what really impressed me about him in this game is he contributed a little bit in just about every phase of the game. Really good edge setting game, I thought, for him. Uh, he, he, he was there. A lot of the uh, runs were to his side when, when he was on the well, when he was on the right side. Uh, defensively, they were. Um, but but he had he had good edge setting there. He had uh, uh, the ability to beat. Some of these guys in the backfield, the Hans is not an enormous um, talent at right tackle and obviously playing a little bit out of position there. Um, but, he, but he did a good job. And I think on the play where – no, I'm not going to say that. I don't think that's true. And then in coverage, of course, he was terrific again. And, and he can take a tight end right off the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can play off coverage against a tight end. He doesn't even have to, to play right up in his face and stay with him that way. But uh, he's just been very effective at, at uh, all elements of that game. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't agree any more than I, I just thought that he had a tremendous game and is on like a tremendous stretch as well over the last mm-hmm. over the last couple of games, um, and I think he just fits exactly what Wink Martindale wants to do on defense and, and allows him to. I, I think I think him being good at the fundamental things that you need on defense, like being able to set the edge and those things and, and not being a liability in coverage that frees up Martindale to be more creative with other guys. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, if, if, 
if you can only realize if he drops 20 snaps per game, sometimes you can blitz off that and sometimes you won't. It'll just be a standard drop off the edge by a Sam linebacker. But, but he, you know, that creates all sorts of opportunities for people to, and, and you know, right now it used to be they would line him up exclusively on the edge. Uh, I guess think part of it was because the, the the rush and coverage flexibility was greater there. But now they fearlessly line him up in the middle of the line, and and you know they're going after stun opportunities. They lined him up off ball a fair amount earlier this season. You know, looking for opportunities to to pierce line, kind of like they did with Judon last year. Uh, what how Martindale uses that is really impressive, and and I'm really looking forward to the day where OA is that kind of a coverage talent because he's got all those tools and more than Bowser has. Yeah, if, and if they can get two guys, especially given you know Bowser's under contract for another couple of years, yep. they can have two. Let's say it's a year and a half down the line, and they can have that. It can cause nightmares for opposing defenses because mm-hmm. you can then you know fake that you're rushing one and drop him and do the opposite the other way. So mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a lot of potential there. They certainly got that with when they had uh, when they had Judon with with Bowser. That was a great pairing. Yeah. yeah. The uh, so the other guy I wanted to talk a little bit about was Anthony Aver. I thought he had a really nice game. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't give up a catch in coverage. Was targeted twice, but it, it was the type of game whereby, again, I spoke about it earlier. You need guys to just not make mistakes, and it was one of those games from Anthony Aver. And I think he's shown in his NFL career that okay, he's not always the most consistent he has some ups and downs but the last couple of weeks hasn't really made too many mistakes Mm -hmm. and if you can have that especially with the the injuries the Ravens have had in the defensive backfield that's that's enough they're not you know they don't need Averett to be Marcus Peters ball hawk type they just need him to try and limit mistakes Um, and I thought he did that very well this week yeah, I, I, he's he's been great. It really is only down game this year, in my opinion, was that Colts game. Um, the Colts did something special to target him, and they, they threw at him a lot in that game. But at the top of the route, you know, they, they had receivers. All of the receivers were using wiggle on him exceptionally as opposed to just cutting. They, they were making a move of some sort before cutting. And he was buying whatever they were selling is the way I've been putting it is, is he was really, he had a very, very bad game. It's amazing how quickly he's rebounded from that and how no other team since has really been able to take advantage of it. Yeah. We had that as by far his worst graded game of the season. And we had him given up. I think it was like 184 yards. Um, so for, you know, he's, he's under 600 yards on the season so far. So for 184 to have come in one game uh, tells the story there, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, is uh, all of the Ravens cornerbacks have had a trip to the bathroom this year? Humphrey gave up 200 yards against Cincinnati, right? Roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that and, was uh, the uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a strange year, and I think as well that like a lot of people sometimes don't realize, especially with defensive backs, it, it's a lot easier for a defensive player, I think, to have a terrible game because mm-hmm. the opposing team are coming at you so they can you know use deception they can use game plans whereas on the offense side of the ball you know you're reacting to what the defense is doing a lot of time so cornerbacks in particular just naturally are always going to have those games now and again and everyone was all over Humphrey for you know he's and, and he's not been as good this year as previous years but realistically the difference is probably that people are seeing less of the flashy highlight plays if he had a couple more forced fumbles a lot of the mistakes outside of the Cincinnati game, I think people would have forgiven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, 
that's a good one. We've 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 given the defensive backs, I think, enough. We really needed to spend a little bit more time talking about Patrick Queen because I think there were some positive things, and I want to make sure that uh, you know I've been a, a, a frequent detractor of Patrick Queen since he was drafted. In particular, last year there were a lot of splash plays and there were a lot of big mistakes. And you know, you talked about Jamie Collins earlier. You know, he's he was that kind of player. This year, there've been there were much less splash plays before he moved to Will. And still a lot of mistakes, which is, you know, that's really not where you want to be. But he's he's cut down on the bad plays. He, he He's done some marvelous things. I thought running Mayfield out of bounds for only one yard, which is effectively like a sack plus one, uh, was was just a great play. I mean, they got him to the edge. It looked like he, had, he was going to get the edge and, you know, make eight, ten yards. And all of a sudden, he's out of bounds with a one-yard gain because Queen is flying. Yeah, and... I uh, he, he set the tone very well early in the game as well. Mm-hmm. I think it might even been might even been the first play on defense where he uh, shot inside um, Petonio, I think it was, and uh, you know stopped that in the backfield. So I, he's such an interesting player as well because you, you'll know this from you know your view on him as well. We we take a lot of heat at PFF from being mm-hmm. graded poorly, and even this week people were like, "Oh, he had a great game and." We've got him at like just shy of sixty overall. Again, I'll say sixty or just shy of, is, is not terrible. It's not saying he played terribly. But if you look at this game, there was the the missed tackle that we briefly touched on earlier on Nick Chubb. That I think it was Humphrey that came in for the the saving tackle there. Or it might have been someone else. Someone came in and made the tackle anyway. Yep. That could have been a far bigger play. That could have been a you know a, a 30, 40 yard play. Or if the you know if that tackle doesn't come in there, he's one on one the safety. It could have been something that causes significant problems. There was also another couple of plays where in coverage, and this this is where he has struggled. I think more than anything in coverage in the NFL, he's just a beat late at just diagnosing where the play is going. Right. So he starts to get back into his zone. But other linebackers or elite linebackers in the NFL drop back and straight away it clicks. I know where this is going. So they drop back, get to their spot, go. He's just that little click late. And that's where a lot of those kind of 10, 11 yard gains and coverage come from. That you're just not quite quick enough to get there to force it to be a contested catch to, you know, to be able to force an incompletion. Um, and I think right now that's the that's the thing that still holds him back a little bit. Right. I, I, I agree with you entirely. I, I think that one of the things we've seen, and it's amazing, have Bynes come in and play that mic spot for him or, or take it from him. And you know, the key thing I keep saying about Bynes is he ran a 481.40 a decade ago you know, when he came out of school. He, he's not that fast now. And yet Bynes plays much higher play speed. His, his reaction time to the ball, his diagnosis time is, is you know, Couple beats quicker, uh, and it has to be because he's he's much less physically gifted. But from that, Queen has also benefited from being a trail player to him on most plays. Because most plays, if the point of attack is going towards the Mike side, then he's he's going to have the ability to watch what Bynes does, almost read Bynes's read in order to to follow and and uh, and make his best time to the ball. So I I've, I've really love that about about how he's been playing. I'm very positive on on where he'll go from here. Still a little bit concerned that he might not pick up the coverage element uh, before the Ravens have to make a decision on whether they keep him for that fifth year. Yeah, my my concerns with him now are more based on how he develops in terms of being worth a second contract in Baltimore, less about how his play is going to be this year. Because unless there's a Josh Bynes injury or something that forces him back into that role, I think he's in a role that 
I don't want to say it protects him, but it allows him to do the things he's better at more, um, which I think is always, anytime you can get your defensive players doing things they're good at, it's normally a good place to be. You know, the Ravens, since almost their, really since their inception, with a few spotty times when they decided not to do it specifically, have been a marvelous team at platooning that weak side linebacker role. And they, they always have, have picked up cheap dimes. And that's where, the, that's where the dime comes into a place. Your third safety comes into a place, your second inside linebacker, with the, with the very simple reasoning that your third best safety in terms of coverage is usually much better than your second best inside linebacker. And that, that's, that's the case in spades with Queen. And I think, you know, it, they'll keep doing that. I, I guess one question you'd have to have is, does that ever leave time for him to develop? Or does that have to really happen in the off season in terms of a specific coaching plan they give him? Or how, how would you, you know, how might you go about trying to convert him so you get three downs out of him when you want to? Yeah. So I think you almost definitely, you're not attempting to, to do it this season. You're looking to do it in the off season next year, spend the off season working on it. And it might be that we see something similar to what we saw this year in that go out, let him play the first few games, you know, because regular season is different to preseason, so things are going to be a little bit tougher there. See how he handles those first couple of games, see if the development has been there, but know that you potentially need, you know, Josh Bynes maybe can play another another season in the NFL, and, mm-hmm. you know, you know you're still going to get solid play there. So have a backup option. I think they definitely have to have a backup option there. Okay, so you're really even saying that you'd put Bynes back, uh, sorry, you'd put Queen back at the mic to start the season this next year. I would, well, I would try in the off season. Okay. Uh, if, if, if the coaches believe that there is development opportunity there, mm-hmm. I would get him back there in the off season. Judge if you think there is something there. If you think there is, roll with it at the start of the season. And if you're right, great. If you're not, just definitely have a backup plan. Josh, Josh Bynes. On the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been making the joke that, that Josh Bynes is going to get, get you know, is going to be used as the Kaiser Soze to other inside linebackers, you know, the spook story to scare yep. criminals straight, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. In 2029 in, in, in Detroit, you know, they're going to be talking to some young, young inside linebacker who's not putting in the time, doesn't have the work ethic. And they're going to say, you know what, this phone over here, I can pick it up right now and call Josh Bynes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he's been, he's been great for what the Ravens have asked him to do. That's for sure. Yep. All right. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Gordon. Why don't we take a couple mailbag questions if they're out there? And I'm going to go out to the uh, mailbag line here and see what we got. Okay. So here's the first question. This is from Faudrek at Bluffer Bluth. Uh, as good as the pass rush was last night, I still noticed them uh, falling on the ground a lot. Is this due to the turf or holding? Also, they seem to get pushed passed around the pocket an awful lot. How can they counter that to move by offensive tackles? So I, I definitely felt like there were a couple of holds that weren't called. Uh, I don't like being the, the person who blames the officials. And I don't I don't think there was any malice or anything in that. I just, there was, there was definitely a few plays where they were coming around the outside edge and I felt like, oh, okay, there's going to be a flag coming in here because he's definitely been held as he goes around the edge there. So that definitely uh, impacted them a little bit. And those late holds are the things that send you to the ground. And they're normally the things they officially right. call. So I think that definitely played an impact. I do think in general, being a, uh, a grass instead of a artificial turf naturally 
footwork does lead you to fall to the ground a little bit more, just mm-hmm. because, especially once you get to this time of year, you know, we saw Miami, uh, the, the field of Miami for Lamar Jackson, saw him like slipping all over the place. So that's true as well. I think it's kind of a combination of both of those things. Yeah, I, I agree. We we saw in Chicago last week uh, some people having a lot of trouble slipping. I think it's it's probably a, a need to get your shoes right. And I, I know the players um, you know don't like to wear the longer cleats. And I don't know what the exact reasons are, but I've heard pain may be an issue is that it's, it's more painful to, to play on those for three hours. But uh, but it may be a place where, you know, you need to reconsider. But I agree with you about the late holds as well, that, you know, somebody's around the edge and then all of a sudden you've got a you've got a hook around your neck, namely the other guy's the tackles outside arm. Yeah, that, that tends to bring you down pretty quickly. And, and even if you have a, a just a jersey hold, that'll that'll bring you down, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so let's, I got one more, and this is really PFF related. There's several questions out here on this topic relating to Queen's grade, and it says, "Can we get an explanation for Queen's lower grade?" And personally, I thought he balled. Also, what have we seen as Brandon Stevens' strengths and weaknesses, and how can he improve those? So, two two good questions there. Let's talk about Queen's Queen's grade first, because I did notice PFF had him for two missed tackles in this game. Yep. All right, and. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one of my I don't I wouldn't call it a beef because I because PFF system is a good one I think you know variation of system is always good but I think there's a there's a risk of overweight of missed tackles in what they in what they do and there's there's two components to that the first is that when you have bounded play ranges from the plus two to minus two scale that if you have a minus one or minus one and a half grade for a missed tackle typically that that's that may be overweighted relative to other things that can happen that are much more costly on defense. Yeah, the, I think the counterpoint I would have on that is that a missed tackle effectively opens up the opportunity that someone else has to prevent there being a touchdown in the play. You know, and mm-hmm. there's that you know there's missed tackles that occur you know close to the line of scrimmage when you know there's a lot of bodies going around and there's missed tackles that occur when you're kind of one-on-one with someone. And at that point, you need someone else to chase that player down to, okay, maybe it's not preventing a touchdown, but you need to prevent something something longer. I think as well, the other thing that with Patrick Queen on, on these things is that linebackers in general are a position that when you're watching on television, you don't necessarily always get to see their full uh, participation yeah. on the play. So I remember there was a game last year where someone was furious as... Uh, great. I think it was against Houston. Uh, uh, Patrick Queen's great against Houston in coverage, and it was a game whereby there was like two or three drop passes. And there was another, uh, another I think a penalty or something mm-hmm. else. There was all these things that could have added up. It could have been like a two hundred yard play in coverage, a two hundred yard game in coverage against Queen, but a couple of lucky things, you know, go his way. When those lucky things go his way, a lot of times when you're watching television. It just doesn't necessarily register, and it's more when you're sitting cumulatively adding up. And you'll know this from you know when you cumulatively mm-hmm. add stuff up as you're going along, it forces you to go back and look at that. And you might at the end of the game be like, "Oh, and I and and I and I looked at the the downgraded plays for Queen um, just a little bit before we came on, and you know, it was a couple of those plays in coverage where he's just a beat late. It was the missed tackle. Uh, it was um, the there was a one run and play where he just got completely blocked." way out to the outside um so yeah th- things like that all all add up and all chip at the grades and the other thing is sometimes with patrick queen a lot of his good plays are a lot of the things where it's unblocked so they're good plays he's also been you know a little bit fortunate in the sense that there's there's an open lane for him to get there 
What can you, without giving away all, all anything that you're not allowed to, the single play where he run blitz past Petonio and then past Harrison Bryant and made the tackle. What would he have gotten for that play on the plus two to minus two scale? Would uh, that be plus? Don't know specific. I'm pretty sure it was his highest graded play of the game, though. Okay, so would it be would it be plus one and a half maybe, or would it be a plus two, or would it be? Uh, so I, I just try, I try here's, here's how I want to frame this up. I, w- I then want to look at how much did the missed tackle on the edge cost him where, where he missed the tackle at three and allowed there were another 13 yards on the play or, or maybe the missed tackle when he got injured, which I thought was, I'm so I, that, that one I'm pretty certain he did not get downgraded for. He got huh. downgraded for, I don't think he got downgraded for the other one. Um, the other thing as well is that, so grading wise, it obviously, like depending on the expectation on the play, it impacts that as well. So it kind of the minus point five minus one deviates away from what the expectation was on that play. So it's not, you know, it's not kind of accumulation of those things throughout the. Got it. Yeah. So so uh, is there's there's differentiation for how bad a missed tackle was. I mean, I, a few years, a few weeks ago, oh, yeah. Bynes had a missed tackle on the ankle. Probably not much of a downgrade for that, I'm guessing, but it might have just been a missed tackle on the score sheet, or it might have been a minus point five, or would, yeah, would... yeah. There's there's like levels to it. You can have you know you can have a missed tackle that um like forces a guy towards the sideline, or you know mm-hmm. a missed tackle whereby you're playing contain and you're still forcing the guy inside that you're not necessarily going to get downgraded for. Or you won't get the same downgrade that you would get for for something that's in the open field. On the flip side of that missed tackle in the open field on a game winning, you know, drive or something like that might be viewed worse. There's, there's levels to those things. Okay. All right. That's fascinating to know. I'm sure people, people really appreciate getting a little bit of insight into the PFF method. Uh, Gordon, thanks so much for coming on again. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. We spend over an hour here. It flies by like it does with a lot of the guests, but, but even more so with you, because I you know, definitely feel a kinship of an, as an analyst with you. Uh, tell folks where they can read your work and where, uh, where they can talk football with you on Twitter. Yeah, so you'll find uh, me on Twitter at uh, at PFF Gordon. Uh, I, I don't do uh, writing at this point in time. That might change in the future, but right now my role's very much focused on kind of more behind the scenes stuff. So uh, that's the best place to get any of my any of my thoughts. Okay, we we, we talked last time, and you set up the whole soccer thing for uh, the folks in in Europe, right? Working as head of that area. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am just now, and uh, we're just kind of developing that process out. So it's a lot of fun. It's it's fun to get to develop something in another sport as well. Uh, very cool, very cool. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a twenty-five years episode for me, we still have seven or eight maybe to to do for the rest of the season. Give me a quick uh, DM on Twitter. We had some great episodes. We're gonna, we have one coming up on a guy and his experiences in the press box and radio booths at various games and some funny things that have happened. So uh, really looking forward to, to talking to Jim Considine about that. But uh, good episodes, and, and please uh, hit me up if you've got a, if you've got a good idea. Narrow topic, deep focus, if we can, uh, in about 20, 25 minutes. Thanks again for coming on, Gordon. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.